I hate the fins. I think this is episode six. At some point, we're going to have to stop doing that. It's going to sound ridiculous when we get into the 30s, 40s, and 50s with this show. But for now, we're in single digits, so it sounds good. My name is Keith. I'm your host as usual. I'm here with my usual co-host, Zach. Uh, We actually don't have much to talk about in terms of Dolphins developments because the Dolphins didn't play last weekend. It was nice. They finally got their bye week. Their first bye week, technically, since... uh, if you think about it, I mean, proper bye week since 2016 after what happened, what went down last year. So that part of it, it's nice to see these guys get a little bit of rest, especially with how banged up this roster has been. And it pays off a little bit because the news coming out is Ryan Tannehill is going to play against Indianapolis this weekend. Uh, I think I saw that Tunsil and James are back too. I'm not certain about that. I've been kind of out of the loop the past two days. But if that's the case, then we're to a point where you hope we can compete. Indianapolis looked pretty good uh, last Sunday. They throttled Tennessee. Um, It's always hard to judge divisional games like that, especially in that division, because the AFC South is so up and down. And especially a week after Tennessee absolutely beat down the Patriots, it seems that Bill Belichick has a tough time going against his former pupils, Mike Vrabel, coaches Tennessee. Uh, Matt Patricia earlier this season, the very up and down Detroit team also beat New England. So I think that the uh, moral of the story there is we just need to find New England coaches to help us out there and then just do away with them the rest of the season because they proved to be somewhat worthless outside of that. Zach, is there um, anything that we can really talk about Dolphins related to kind of wet people's appetite even though i mean outside of the developments we got Tannehill back in he definitely gives you a chance um it doesn't sound like he's 100 percent, so we'll see what happens there but it also sounds like he's got some of his arms it sounds like the velocity is for the most part back which is an important thing because that that's what was missing there so outside of that how do you feel about them going into this weekend against indianapolis how do you feel about them competing for that last wild card spot i mean that's a tough one um it's funny because like i said uh living in baltimore now i get a lot of the the ravens radio and they're kind of in that that same groove um and they're both really ugly teams so it's kind of funny that they they're talking in that same mindset too um but i mean at the end of the day you never want to be playing for that that last playoff spot um not saying that you don't want to get into the playoffs you always want to try to get into the dance there but um, you know, you never want to be shooting for six. Um, but you know, if they can stay healthy, I still think the roster's good enough at points, um, that they could fudge their way in. Um, you know, I, I don't know how healthy everyone's going to stay, you know, we'll see how Tannehill plays this week. Um, I have the feeling that even though he says he's good, I think he's still probably a little banged up. Um, and Thoreau probably does give him a little bit of grief. Um, but like, I, I just want people to stay healthy, not even just for the sake of like wins and losses, but like these poor dudes and their bodies, I feel bad for them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we talk about that often, just, I mean, what these guys put on the line every week. Uh, I, I've noticed a little bit of an uptick in terms of overall morale on the Twitters. 
<clears throat> with Dolphins Nation, which is always so up and down. So Tannehill comes back. We're going to see if we get the same Indianapolis team that we saw last Sunday. And these guys definitely seem to have their act together under Frank Reich. Uh, Andrew Luck is playing well as you would expect him to. So I'm not really sure what to expect from this game just because I don't know which Tannehill you're getting. Uh, the the injuries are still a problem. I mean, you're hoping that your bookend tackles are back because, I mean, it's going to be tough to beat anyone without those guys, especially when you've seen just how poor the pass protection can be with those guys out. So if we're looking at it long term, I mean, do you think it's realistic to expect these guys to compete for that six? Or, I mean, I, I, mean, I hate to say it, but, I mean, are you is it more important to think about what they're going to do past this season in terms of draft picks, in terms of what they're going to do with Ryan Tannehill as a starter, Adam Gase, so on and so forth. I mean, you're always shooting for wins. Um, you know, I like I like to joke that uh, this is my off season. You know, I care about the draft and stuff like that. But like, regardless of how things are and how you want the draft to be in off season and stuff like that, like these franchises put all this money on the table and hire all these people and you know they put in all this work throughout the year and like you don't have an iffy start to your season especially when you're technically in the chase for that six spot for the playoffs and you go you know what like let's pack it in let's get a better draft pick like this isn't the nba um that just doesn't happen in the nfl um you know so i think until the the tires really fall off i i think they'll keep playing till the last minute um but, you know, it's every, everyone's still so banged up. Like, like I said, I don't, I don't know if Tannehill is 100%. Um, Kenyon Drake's at practice with a, a red jersey on. Devontae Parker's at practice with a red jersey on. Kenny Stills has had a, a quad issue or a groin issue or something all year. That's been really killing him. Um, you know, the tackles are banged up. The interior line has been dead since week two. Um, you know, so, like, Obviously, with the injury bug, it's, it's going to be tough sledding here. But, like, I don't think that at any point you throw in the towel on a year and decide not to get wins just to get draft picks, especially because, like, we've had this conversation before. Like, you're you're not going after a quarterback in the top five, in my opinion. Someone may go, but so I, I'm not packing it in. Um, if they can make the wild card, that's awesome. It'll probably be a one and done. Um, but, you know, I'd rather have two one-and-done playoff appearances for Geese than one in his first year and just everything else just skidding away. Keep the focus on the draft, actually. So, speaking of the, the Geese tenure, the Geese regime, if you will, 2016 looks like a really good draft with the guys they pull in with Tunsil, Drake, Xavier Howard, Carew, uh, not so much. And then 2018 shaping up to be a pretty promising class. I mean, outside of the fact that Mika Fitzpatrick is <clears throat> already ridiculous. We talked about that last week. Uh, Jerome Baker already doing really great work. We, we have to figure Mike Isicki really puts it together and gets involved with the game plan at some point. I don't know what's going on there. I think that's going to happen sooner rather than later. Um, because if Tannehill's shoulder's still killing him, you know, I don't know if he's going to be throwing, you know, 10 to 12 yard out patterns, you know, on the sidelines. So if you can, can catch Gasecki within eight yards on a, a sit down or something, like I think you're going to start seeing more out of that. 
you have to figure you're looking for the dude with the ridiculous catch radius at that point. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I agree. Uh, so anyway, my my point in all this and what I was trying to get to is 2016 and 2018 look like good drafts. 2017 is is iffy right now. And I want to start with Charles Harris because, I mean, that guy gets a lot of grief on Twitter right now. He's pretty much been MIA in terms of production this season. I know you weren't a huge fan of his going into that draft, so maybe there's a little bit of I told you so for you here. But are you ready to jump in on the crowd and say, like, that was a bad draft pick, the wrong draft pick, or is it something where this is this can get turned around, you can get production from him? What is your take on him at this point? I, I think you can get production from him. I think he's a guy that you, like, Remember when OV started catching on and they used to use OV in that two-point stance like rush end uh, before he really learned how to like set the edge and stuff? Like, yep. The problem is is that because of where Cam Wake is in his career, Cam Wake's kind of evolved into that, you know, third down pass rusher, occasionally first and second down guy. Where like after Charles Harris was drafted, that's what he should have been doing right out the gate. So because of like the perfect slash wrong timing of where Cam is in his career slash what, you know, um, Harris should be doing the same thing. It, it's just, it doesn't mesh and they can't get them on the field at the same time. Cause you know, you, you want Robert Quinn in there still too. So I, I think it's a bad situation um, for Charles Harris. Um, I think he's just a pass rusher, um, which is why I didn't for sure. love when he was taken at 20 or 21 or whatever. Um, 22, but, I think. Yeah, yeah. So it, in that early 20s there. But but at the end of the day, like, uh, you, don't, you don't give up on draft picks in year one and a half, um, especially because he's been hurt too. You know, I don't, I don't know what his deal's been, but, like, he's been out for the past four or five games too with something. Um, so, you know, uh, plus I just don't like to see guys fail. Um, there are times where I will not be fans of guys in the draft, but at no point, I, I want all those guys to prove me wrong, to be a hundred percent honest. Um, Cause at the end of the day, like this is what these guys love. Like this is going to be their livelihood. Like you never want to see anybody fail. Um, there's just preferences that you have. I, I still like Charles Harris. I mm-hmm. think that the explosion he brings to the table it isn't something you can just find in anyone. So, I mean, eventually it would be cool to find a defensive pairing at um, pass rusher where you've got Robert Quinn and Charles Harris. Cause I mean, Cam Wake's not going to play forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, well, he might, I mean, he still looks great. So who knows with that guy, but I mean, it would be nice to get to that point because work still needs to be done along the interior. Now that like the Jordan Phillips experiment fizzled out, uh, and Dominic and Sue's gone. I mean, this team doesn't want to say, and I mean, you've got some talented guys in the middle, but I mean, the identity there, I think needs to be restructured. I think you want to get back to the dominance that you had inside. So, uh, I don't know, but you just look at Charles Harrison. I, I love his skill set. I didn't, I don't know. I was indifferent with that pick. Because I thought, I mean, if he turns out really good and you're getting a, getting a stud pass rusher at 22, then who's going to complain about that? The other side of it is, I mean, he was he was absolutely non-existent against the run at Missouri. I don't know that he's ever going to be 
a guy that can really do anything against the run. I don't know if that's in his DNA. So, I mean, the jury's still out on that, which can be frustrating because, I mean, you'd like to see defensive uh, guys on the defensive line, especially when they're pass rushers, you'd like to see them be able to round out their game as they mature as pros. So, I don't know. But I definitely have not given up on him by a stretch. I think that, um, I mean, it's just, I mean, give it time. And as you mentioned, I mean, the the thing that he could probably do best is the thing that you're going to have Cam, Cam Wake do right now. You're not going to take snaps away from him uh, to open that up, <clears throat> as of right now at least. And then, I mean, we mentioned the the other picks in there. Uh, McMillan, I th- you mentioned on the podcast, I think it was last week, that, I mean, he has been looking better. And you hope to get more from him because, I mean, he is ultimately an important part of this defense if he gets it together. And then Tankersley were all high on last year. And then, I don't know, that fell off a cliff fast, I feel like. Yeah, but I feel like and, and, which is disappointing, like too. What happened there? Because, like, I don't think anybody really knows what happens there because, like, it's, it's not like they found a better option. And there were – when did he play? Was it Chicago? When uh, – what's his name? That they, everybody swore they loved. Um, out of UNLV. What is his name? Who's the other corner? Um, that was playing. McTire. McTire. McTire was just getting obliterated. And I think it was Chicago. Um, and they put Tank in. And Tank was definitely better. Um, Tank wasn't like life-changing. But how can you expect a guy to do that, you know, uh, when he's coming off the bench, when, you know, his confidence has been shot. Um, so I don't know about Tank. Um, I wouldn't put my money there or anything but um you know the nice thing in that draft class is godshaw and uh vincent taylor you know both of those guys do i think either them are a number one interior guy Eh, probably not um but i think they're both really good like 2a 2b kind of guys oh yeah they're great at what they do so that's something to be encouraged about going forward let's we can go ahead and swing this a little bit um, we'll come back to the draft, of course, because that's usually where we end up when we do this show. Thanksgiving tomorrow. Happy Thanksgiving to you, of course. <laughs> um, <clears throat> as as if we need those uh, proper declarations here. So, some a big game tomorrow. If you're talking about Chicago and Detroit, because I've got this theory that if Chicago wins tomorrow, I think they take the North, because chances are they're gonna head into December at nine and three yep. and they're, they have a game against San Francisco. They get the Rams at soldier field, which is a big deal because I think that's a different animal for that Rams team that really wants to play and play fast. We'll see how it is when they get down by Lake Michigan and then you get the Packers at home and you have to imagine they're going to try to kill those guys after what happened in week one. So if they win tomorrow and that's a big if because it doesn't look like Mitchell Trubisky is going to play. It looks like Chase Daniels, the guy yeah. in there. They win tomorrow. I think that the North is theirs. I think beating Minnesota last Sunday night was a huge deal for them in, in terms of creating space on um, a tiebreaker if necessary. If it gets to that, Minnesota already has a tie um, in their win-loss record <clears throat> slate for the season. So are you looking for anything tomorrow? I mean, because I'm excited to watch this game. I mean, obviously, I live in Chicago, Chicago land, really. But um, what do you think? I mean, have you looked at this matchup at all? Is there anything about this game that 
you're interested to see. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be an interesting game because like both teams are kind of beat up too. Um, I don't think Carryon Johnson's playing for Detroit or um, Marvin Jones. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, essentially now that Tate's gone, it's like Kenny Galladay and that's it. Who's um, a stud. I love watching that yeah, guy play. Like he's, he's a lot of fun. Um, so we'll see. I don't, I think it could be one of those Thanksgiving games where it ends up being, a, oh, I don't know, like a 14 to 17 game. Um, you know, the offenses find some life, but you got a backup quarterback run on the Bears versus an, an okay Lions defense. They've got some pieces here or there. Um, and then you have a Lions depleted offense um, with the defense that the Bears have. Um, you know, I think the Lions will be able to take advantage of some some opportunities in that secondary every now and then. Um but you know, and it's also which Matthew Stafford's going to show up because he's he's showing signs of being on the back end potentially. Because um, he's he's had an okay year, but not a a huge year like you know some of the ones he's put up in the past. Different team at home, yep. Detroit. Uh, I mean, they've beaten Green Bay at home. They've beaten New England at home. They beat Carolina last Sunday at home. I mean, Carolina kind of did that to themselves, going for two at the end instead of just playing for the tie and getting it into overtime. You figure, like, when you're... Riverboat Ron doesn't go for one. No, I guess not. And, I mean, the problem there is, I mean, Carolina's the better team. I don't know that anyone outside of the state of Michigan would debate that. So, I mean, wouldn't you play for the tie and get into overtime and just assert your will at that point? No, that's that's no problem. I mean, I don't... No, I guess not. Really boring so, in the NFL, so. No, no. Judging from that Monday night <laughs> game, which I mean, we'll get to that in a second too. We can talk because my take on that's a little different than the hyperbolic stuff that I saw coming out on Tuesday morning. Um, but I mean, before we get to that, so you got Chase Daniel, who's probably going to start tomorrow. Um, the one thing you lose with him is Mitchell Trubisky's insane mobility through the past few weeks, I mean, it has become a serious weapon for Chicago. I mean, you saw in that game on Sunday night, I mean, he's able to turn what looks like an empty third down into, I mean, he's able to move the chains. So you miss that. I mean, he's really been up and down in terms of passer this season. I'm, I'm not really sure what's going on there because it seems like his big thing is he overthrows his receivers. There are times where he looks incredibly accurate. He throws a good ball downfield. He and Allen Robinson have something good going on right now. And he and rookie Anthony Miller look really good too. So um, Shaheen just came back, that enormous tight end. I think they call him Baby Gronk or whatever ridiculous name they have going on in there. You got Tariq Cohen, who's like their Tyreek Hill slash Alvin Kamara guy out of the backfield. And then uh, Jordan Howard, of course. And then the offensive line has been good this year. I mean, they lost Kyle Long for the season. But outside of that, I mean, they drafted James Daniels. They totally stole him in the second round last year, the center out of Iowa. I think they have him at left guard right now. They keep Cody Whitehair at center, which I don't really understand because I would flip those guys. I thought Whitehair was was a stud guard prospect coming out of K-State, whereas Daniels played center at Iowa. So you'd think, like, well, I mean, I think 
even though Whitehair was a left tackle over there, I mean, everyone thought that his skill set was going to lend best to left guard. But, you know, <laughs> it's Harry Heastan who used to be the offensive line guy for Notre Dame. He's the one putting everything together on, for the Bears offensive line now. So far be it for me to say otherwise. It's working for him. Anyway, that was long-winded, but all of that is to say that for the Bears offense, I think Chase Daniel can run it. I think you lose something in, in terms of his legs. But, I mean, like he's he's been in the Matt Nagy offense for a while there, so I, you have to assume he understands it. I mean, to a point where, I mean, you're confident putting him in there uh, in Detroit on Thanksgiving and hoping for the best. I mean, the the eraser in all this, the great equalizer, though, is that defense of theirs is absolutely humming right now. I mean, and we talked about this when we had the Mike Carpenter from uh, uh, ESPN, uh, what is it, UC, I think, because that's Champaign-Urbana or whatever they have for uh, University of Illinois, but we had him on, and we talked about, you know, you have Khalil Mack, you have Akeem Hicks, you have Eddie Goldman, and then the one guy who wasn't really putting it together, and it turns out that he had a broken hand, he had all this other stuff wrong with him, was Leonard Floyd. I think he had an MCL sprain last year uh, that ended his season. They just decided to keep him out at that point. If that guy gets healthy and starts contributing at a high level, that defense is going to be such a problem for everyone they play. Because, I mean, who's gonna, who goes into a game and thinks like, okay, we got to take Leonard Floyd out at this point? You're not worried about him. You're worried about, I mean, if you watch that game on Sunday night, like they tried to block Akeem Hicks one-on-one at times, and it just it just ended in tears. Like he took the center and threw him into the ground like a lawn dart at one point. I mean, and Khalil Mack, I mean, just continues to, you know, he just compiles sacks, strip sacks, and the guy just affects the quarterback all the time. Their linebacker core is getting better and better because they've got Roquan Smith, who looks like he's already getting to a point where he's going to run the show sooner than later. He plays next to Danny Trevathan, and then their their safeties are Eddie Jackson and Adrian Amos, and they're studs too. The one issue I think they have in terms of weakness would probably be on the defensive perimeter. Because, I mean, Kyle Fuller is fine, and Prince of Mukamara is capable of playing well too. He's had a good season after, I think a lot of people thought after he spent, what was that, that year in Jacksonville or whatever, that that was pretty much it for him. But the beauty of Vic Fangio's defense is that he tends to get a lot out of corners who previously were thought as, you know, just guys. I mean, Carlos Rogers comes to mind. I think Carlos, didn't Carlos Rogers go to a Pro Bowl yep. playing for Vic Fangio? <clears throat> I think he did. Uh, and then, um, so, I mean, you look at what they have on the perimeter. I'm not terribly impressed with it. Their slot corner is Bryce Callahan, though, and that guy appears to be a bit of a stud. I, and they blitz him a lot. So I think that's that's pretty cool what they have. I mean, in, in terms of what they're trying to do, getting aggressive on defense and whatnot. I could talk about the Bears defense all day because I've seen enough of it where it's, it's fun to watch. Um, in this era of super offensive football, I think it's cool when a defense can come in and still affect uh, affect the the outcome outside of what their offense is doing. So I think that's pretty cool. We can. Uh, do you have a prediction for tomorrow? I th- I do think I think the Bears put the NFC North in the strength. Yeah, I, I think the Bears probably end up taking that one too. Um, the other Thanksgiving game is interesting too because that Dallas um, Washington game, you know, that could turn into a a tie for first place in the AFC or NFC East there, um, especially with Alex Smith being dead. Um, 
good old Colt McCoy coming back in. Yeah, that's um, and uh, my buddy that's a, a Washington fan said that if Colt gets hurt, he hopes they just like shut it down for the season because he wants nothing to do with Mark Sanchez. Mark Sanchez, I was going to say, butt fumble acquired this. Yeah, they picked him up this week. Uh, at one point, because I think that Washington started out and I think they were five and two. I mean, like they, and then they acquired uh, Ha and Clinton Dix. And then um, it's just, I mean, it's been like a comedy of errors for those guys since then. And they got absolutely pasted by the Falcons uh, at home. Uh, they lose in a heartbreaker last week, especially when you think, I mean, because Alex Smith snaps his uh, fibula and his tibia. He does both. <clears throat> and, I mean, we can't, we don't need to talk about like, the, the, the Joe Theismann comparisons. I mean, or the fact that it happened on the same day or is the same score of the game and both happened at the 40-yard line. I mean, all that's documented at this point. But I thought that Washington was going to run away with the East at one point because, I mean, the rest of the division is just so bad. I mean, Philadelphia is getting pasted by everyone. They just got absolutely obliterated by the Saints on Sunday. There's no shame in that. But, I mean, this is just Super Bowl champion. Carson Wentz is back. I mean, they've got some they've got some injuries. I mean, their offensive line is starting to get banged up. They're, I think the guys in their secondary are pretty much neophyte defensive backs. I mean, it's just like it's like a kinder care back there. So, I mean, they're... They're running into some problems right now. The Giants are laughable. I mean, that's just that's just a bad team right now. And one that needs an identity, mind you. So all of a sudden, here come here comes Dallas out of nowhere. They win some tough games. They beat Philadelphia in Philadelphia last Sunday. Or I mean two Sundays ago. Then last Sunday they they won an absolute blunder bowl against Atlanta. Just a game that I'm sorry I watched more of than I'm comfortable admitting. But as you mentioned, I mean Unless something happens here that's drastic, Dallas is going to end up running away with the East. And, and that's not hard to do by any stretch. But, I mean, they, they've got Amari Cooper in there now. And, I mean, he's looked pretty good. It seems like he and uh, Dak Prescott have something going on. Ezekiel is playing well. I think they found some stability on that offensive line after a lot of setbacks early on with, like, uh, Travis Frederick and whatnot. So, I don't know. I get tired of these Sundays where they keep telling me that Dallas is the game of the week or the Monday night game is Dallas and Tennessee or they play four Sunday night games in a row. I get tired of all that. I don't look at them as America's team. I don't really want to watch them play, you know, uh, below their competition, ahead of their competition, whatever. That team more or less sickens me. I get tired of them showing me Jerry Jones all the time. That said, I do think that they're going to, they're going to end up, uh, win in the East just because it's almost by attri- you know attrition. It's a sad thing, but at one point I thought Washington had it, and then Washington's fortunes really started to change, and now it's all about Colt McCoy. I love the Clinton Dix signing when they brought him in, or I should say the trade. Uh, their front seven is pretty much just a an Alabama alumni party. I mean, they just whoever's the best Alabama defensive lineman coming out this season, Washington's gonna get them. Because they got Jonathan Allen, <clears throat> and then Deron Payne was the guy they brought in last year. I think Ryan Anderson is one of their pass rushers in there. So, I mean, they've just got a, a boatload of Alabama talent in there. Now they got Clinton Dix on the back end. So, I don't mean to ramble or anything, but 
that will be interest. That game will be interesting only from a record standpoint. I think outside of that, uh, Dak Prescott versus Colt McCoy is not something that excites me. And then the night game, who was that? New Orleans and Atlanta. I didn't even know there was a third think... game. Oh yeah, oh, they do I the third it, game now. It was, it was oh, Lions, you know the Cowboys. That's it. Well, that's the way it was up until I think 2006 was the first year Jeez, they did the third game. I have not been paying attention for say. a decade. Well, they're usually not very good. Like the third game, it's usually it's usually a beatdown. I think the only time I've seen a game I was that I actually found compelling was, uh, what was it twenty twenty fifteen? I want to say, and it was Green Bay and Chicago, and it was at Lambeau, and Chicago won that game, which is noteworthy because they never win at Lambeau. So, and that was when Adam Gase was the offensive coordinator for the Bears. So I've heard of him. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not terribly excited about tomorrow night's uh, third game, uh, especially because I don't at this point I don't know that anyone's going to beat New Orleans. It just doesn't seem fair. Like New Orleans is just rocking this passing game, or no one's no one seems to be able to cover Michael Thomas at this point. Their running game looks good, which I mean, with Mark Ingram, they have far and away the best offensive line in the game. And then you got Elvin Kamara, and it's just at that point it's not even fair. I mean. It's funny because that guy just looks, you look at him and he doesn't, he's not big. He's not like an imposing guy, but he just throws people around. I remember last season, there was a play where Luke Keekley tried to stuff him at the goal line and Elvin Kamara just, just beat him down. So, I mean, when you got it, you got it, I guess. But the one thing that I haven't seen a lot of people talk about with New Orleans, I mean, we've seen that they're improved secondary based on what it was a couple of years ago. They had Marshawn Lattimore now. Uh, Marcus Williams and um, at safety, and then they brought in Eli Apple. We'll see what happens there. Their linebackers are healthy though, because they brought in guys. They drafted Anzalone last year, and then he got hurt. Um, it's just been an infirmary at that second level of defense for them. And then you got Cameron Jordan um, at defensive end, so their defense is really impressive. And that's something a lot of people don't talk about. Like New Orleans can play defense, so. I don't think anyone's going to beat them. I'm almost hoping the Patriots go in the AFC just so New Orleans can beat them by like 50 points in the Super Bowl. That's I'm so used to Tom Brady just, you know, losing the close ones that I would love to see somebody just route him. Just do it what Atlanta did for three quarters, but then do more of it in the fourth quarter. So that was like a minute. But, but I mean, the like nice thing is, is if you don't <laughs> like uh any of the NFL tomorrow, there's some actual good college football on Friday. There's, Two and a half good college football games on Friday. Let's talk about that for a little bit. What are what are you looking so for on the, Friday? The headliners on Friday or Friday night. You have uh, Oklahoma versus West Virginia, um, and that could really shake things up if West Virginia wins that game because Oklahoma's right now at six. Um, so that could open the door for some people, and then. Um, the game at eight thirty is Washington State and Washington in the Apple Bowl. There, their rivalry game, um, and so it'll be interesting to see Washington State and how crazy their offense has been this year. Um, how it plays against Washington's defense, um, especially because Washington always has a really good secondary. Um, and if you're really bored on Friday afternoon. Um, you can watch UCF in South Florida. 
even though UCF is awesome in rank nine, South Florida always plays them really tough. Um, so that could be an interesting game too. I love the Apple Cup. Um, that's always just an, an interesting matchup. I, who's the top stud for Washington in the secondary? Uh, right he's now, the corner, Murphy? but their their safety Taylor Rapp. Taylor Rapp's been good for three three four years. I don't know what year he's in anymore. Um, but when it was him, because at one point he was a freshman. I guess I guess he was a freshman Buddha Baker's last year, so he must be a junior or something. Um, okay. But when those two were playing together, they were an awesome safety tandem. Because um, rap is more of your like rather traditional. He he kind of reminds me of the the Haas and the uh, um, Landon Collins kind of safety, where they're not as boxy as Rashad Jones, um, but they're not super duper cover guys. Um, but when Rap and Buda Baker were together, like that, that was a great combo. Um, you know, so and I think that was the same year. I think. I think that final year was um, Kevin King, Rap, Buda Baker, Sidney Jones. Yeah. Sidney Jones. That's a stupid secondary. secondary that year. <laughs> um, but that was the year I think they also had Azeem Victor was playing well. Um, so they had a decent linebacker there. And then their nickel. Um, I think their nickel person was um, uh, the dude now that you were just talking about, Byron, whatever. Uh, yeah, Byron Murphy. You Byron know, Murphy. so they don't typically have. Oh, they would have had. Um, what's his name on the front line too? Defensive tackle Vitavea. So like they at one Vita point Vita. they had a crazy defense, um, and that was also the year that oh my god why am i blanking all all these names right now um their quarterback now who's kind of fallen off the face of the earth that was the year he had the really good year too um uh, i can't remember his name browning yeah jake browning Browning? um but that was the year browning had a really good year and um um oh my god i'm i'm dying on names right now i must caught your dad brain um but their running back is always good. Um, number nine. Oh boy, that guy's name I'm not going to remember right now. I was thinking about how next yeah, year, yeah, Eason I mean, takes we'll over. see what happens when Eason takes over. Because um, they've been kind of replenishing their offense because they they lost some some dudes at receiver and stuff too. And uh, um, who's that tight end who at the last minute, like Mike Mayock, loved that came out of there, uh, Disley or whatever. Will Disley and they yeah, lost Will good Disley. old Will Disley too. So, mm, I'm interested. Um, I mean that that game is going to be good. Oklahoma and West Virginia, I feel like, would be so much more interesting yeah. had West Virginia hung on uh, last Saturday. I, they should be ashamed of themselves for losing to Mullet Boy I mean, Oklahoma in Oklahoma State. State. Been, like, weirdly um, good this year. Um, they, both. They have. I mean, like, yeah, they're always going to Oklahoma and someone. West Virginia both heavily struggled with Oklahoma State. Um, you know, so I, I give them credit. Like, like, Cornelius has played really well th- this year. And, uh, you know, Gundy's, he's, he just makes it happen. No matter who's there, he makes it happen. Um, but yeah, so I mean, obviously, West Virginia, Oklahoma would have been a lot more 
enjoyable if if West Virginia was still ranked, you know, seven or eight. Um, but at the end of the day, unfortunately, they fell off. Um, and then on Saturday, I guess the big game is uh, Michigan Ohio State. Oh yeah, um, that's. I think that's, that's the, the big biggest one. playoff implication one. Oh yeah, I mean Ohio State gets a chance to play spoiler uh, to the Big Ten team vying for a playoff berth, perhaps two years in a row because they got Wisconsin in the the Big Ten championship last year, which was incredibly disappointing. And now this year you got Michigan, who's I think ranked yeah. fifth. But, and well, I mean we talk- Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Fourth. Uh, excuse, fourth they are in. I was just thinking from a, a couple of weeks ago when they were waiting yeah. for somebody to lose and then LSU lost and then they got in. <clears throat> um, so they come in their fourth. Yeah. We talked about Shea Patterson last week. Um, I don't know. I, I think Michigan gets them this time. I mean, it's been a long time just, since they've beaten Ohio State. Like, Michigan's defense is good. Um, Michigan's defense is actually really good. Um, but I don't know if they have the tools in the back end if Ohio State spreads them out. Um, Because the one thing Ohio State always has, one thing any Urban Meyer team always has is an unbelievable amount of athletes. And if they spread you out, that's really tough to deal with. Um, Michigan, you know, because like it's kind of weird because Ohio State can play Big Ten football but they tend to play more like like Eastern Division SEC Florida football, like when Urban Meyer was there, obviously. Um, you know, like they make they remind me so much more of like a high powered functional version of Missouri. Um, you know, so I think I think if Ohio State spreads them out and Haskins shows up and does what he needs to do, I think there's a chance. Um because I'm not super sold on Michigan's offense. Um, so if. Oh, you don't like the oh, Harbaugh no. pro style scheme? It's so much fun. I love watching football level. That's what I sign up for every Saturday. Um, hopefully you could feel the sarcasm in my voice. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, I think potential on how this plays out. Um, I, I think we talked a little bit about the, the Haskins, or maybe maybe we talked about it offline. Haskins against Maryland, even though the Maryland situation went potentially in a poor direction for Ohio State, and they almost lost that one. Um, you know, I think that was Haskins' signature game of the year, not only because of how well he played. I think he had three passing, three rushing touchdowns, and, and maybe an interception in there. Um, but, like... I think this is going to be. I think Ohio State's going to get a shakeup at the end of the year. Um, I don't know if if it's going to be the end of Urban Meyer, but I think there's going to be some sort of wake up call that has to happen. Um, and with how well Haskins has played and how wacky this draft class is, this might be the time for him to scoop. There's been a lot of people who think yeah. he's coming out anyway. To, I mean, to your point that, I mean, it's it sounds people talk about how, I mean, he he runs the risk of pushing himself right out of the first round if he goes next year. Yeah. I mean, yeah. in 2020, I mean, just because I mean, I mean that I mean, that's thick with 
a lot of quarterback talent. To be fair, a lot of people have said the same thing about Justin Herbert and his his plans following this season. A lot of so I mean, we mentioned this a little bit last week. We can talk about it some more. Uh, talk people into or out of uh, Dwayne Haskins as a Miami Dolphin following uh, um, or going into next I think season. My my talk you into him points would probably be. I think he's he's that right mix of not a runner kind of guy can run if he needs to um but at the same time like I think he has a good presence about him and he's a good decision maker um I don't know if he has the world's greatest arm I think he can make the throws that you need him to make um and I think he's coming from a pretty versatile offense that does a lot of interesting things to if he went to Miami, a place where Adam Gase has turned this offense into a pretty versatile offense that can do some interesting things, you know, with the fly sweeps, um, you know, Ohio State's run them forever, Urban Myers run them forever. Um, so you can see where the logic kind of connects there. Um, I think me talking you out of Haskins is – I'm keeping this PG-13, so screw Ohio State quarterbacks. Um, I, I would have liked to drop an F-bomb in there because I, I, it's just one of those schools that I just don't mess with quarterbacks from. Um, you know, they it's that system feels like while quarterbacks in college football don't need to super-duper call plays and a lot of things come in from the sideline, I feel like Urban Meyer's like doing all the, the pre- pre-snap work and you know it just kind of happens after there if you can make the reads if you can make a play with your legs and move around a little bit you know you'll you'll be making things happen for him interesting stuff uh it should be noted that yeah uh, that game is in columbus on saturday which i mean could very much tilt it toward ohio state i just feel what the reason i think michigan will win is because Michigan needs to win. And the reason I say that is, I mean, what is this, Harbaugh's third season there? Yeah. I think. I think he took over. I want to say. I don't think he has a signature win yet. He hasn't beat Ohio State. You know, that one season when they were undefeated, they lost to Iowa, which was a... So, and then they ended up losing to Ohio State that year, and then they went to the Orange Bowl, and they lost a tough one at the end to Florida State. So, you just look at what they've done and what they need to do in terms of his program. The recruiting hasn't been where it needs to be for him to have the kind of success that you saw him have at, like, Stanford. I mean, of course, having Andrew Luck as your quarterback certainly helps in that situation, but... They need a signature win. If they win on Saturday, that that's a signature win. Getting that first win against Ohio State in however many years, I need to sit and think. I, it's but been I mean, a like, long That's kind of the time. problem with the Harbaugh's, both so, of them in general, to be honest, is that realistically, they're pretty good coaches, um, which you won't hear me say very often. Uh, but the truth is, is that they're pretty good coaches. And in the case of college football and, you know, up in, in Ann Arbor, they're like, They'll they'll have you top fifteen worst case scenario every year. There's some years that you'll be you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen. There's years that you'll be you know top four. 
Um, but I think the problem is, is especially the message that they send, because they're both pretty like, maybe hyperactive is not the right word, but the, they're they're pretty energetic kind of guys. So like they go and you go in and try to sell you the farm and they recruit you and they're going to say, you know, we're going to, we're going to win a Super Bowl, We're going to win a national championship. But like, I just don't think they're that quality of coaches. So like, if you're okay with being top 15, which is awesome, I, I have no problem with that. But like, you can't sell that, like, we're going to win it all every year. Cause then you're going to find yourself five to 10 years down the road where, you know, um, Jim, John, which one's in Baltimore, John, where you look at John now and like, it's like, is he going to be the coach next year while they've gone to playoffs and did a lot of good things in his first five years. And, you know, they've hung on that edge of the playoffs when they haven't, like when you come in and promise, you know, you're going to change things around or you're going to win Super Bowls and, you know, you're going to change things around. You're going to win a national championship and you don't deliver like, well, what do you think is going to happen? I don't know. Do you want to make a prediction for um, that game on Saturday? What do you think happens? Ohio State wins at home. And I say the score is going to be uh, 31 to 28 um, Ohio State. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Enjoy the games tomorrow, especially if you happen to live in uh, any of those areas. If you happen to be a fan of them, you're just listening to us. I know that that is the case for a couple of teams. <clears throat> I don't know how you found us, but I think that's cool. So uh, for Zach, my name is Keith. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you probably later this week with our college podcast. Have a great night. Have a great weekend. Happy Thanksgiving. Hello. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>